morning, everyone. <laughs> it's always great to see you. Even if you didn't come here of your own volition, if your parents dragged you here and, and you didn't want to come, I pray that God will speak to your heart and that uh, he may, through his spirit, touch you to your very soul this morning, that you would know without question that he loves you, wants to be a part of your life. We are looking at a uh, continuing journey to Jerusalem with Jesus and his disciples, and uh, today he, he offers a few challenges, surprise, God wants to help us change our lives to be in line with what he values and what he's, his priorities are. So all of this journey to Jerusalem from Luke chapter 9 through to the end uh, where he faces the cross, he's helping us to see God's priorities and um, God's values and for, for us to adopt those into our life. So there's always a challenge between the pressures of what this world wants or what the society values and often the opposite of that, which is what Christ values. So we just finished the last uh, beginning of chapter 16, and Jesus was talking about uh, money, talking about how you can't serve two masters. You can't seek after money alone. Let that be your God and also say that, that Jesus or God is, is in charge of your life. They're, they're incompatible. The one has to be more important in your life. If, you, if God is more important, then money is put in its proper place. If money is more important, then God just doesn't have a lot of say in your life. And so here he's going to tell us in a sense that it's not, it's not really that difficult when it comes to God's values or his priorities. It, it, the bottom line is that, um, do you know the second greatest commandment, by the way? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep those two commandments in the forefront of your mind, then everything will, will fall into place. Do you, want to, to, uh, do you want people to be generous to you? Well, then be generous to them. Do you, do you appreciate when people are faithful to their commitments to you? Well, then fulfill your, your commitments to them. Do you like those who are kind to you or who check up on you who are, or those who sacrifice their time and help you out in your time of need? Well, he's saying be like that to other people. And th this is what God is, is trying to get at is that if we, when we are selfish, when we're looking after our own interests, when we are seeking our own benefits all the time, we, we put everyone else second or last in our life. And he, he demonstrates to us, even on the cross, how opposite his intentions are and his priorities are. So as he travels to Jerusalem, he tells those following him, if we truly love God, we will love God, well, sorry, if we truly love God, we will love what God loves and hate what God hates. A lot of times people chase after money and pleasure and power or their own rights or benefit themselves. It's what people value. And it was a struggle watching that coronation because, you know, you see all the fanciest dresses and suits and, and uh, things coming in and the fascinators and it's just like it's a, a walkway of fashion design as well. But when you look behind all of the, the pomp and the circumstance and you see, I'm not really into the royal stuff, I'll just say, but I, I do follow humanity. But to say when you see... Prince Harry sitting there, 
third row behind his, his brother and family. And you know that there's conflict at home. You know that there's conflict in the family. And you know, if you know the stories, some of the prime ministers were there in the, in the crowd. And they, they, one of them that said it was the shortest lived tenure of any prime minister in the history of England was there. Poor woman. I don't know if it's a matter of days since she was prime minister. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of discord going on, but everyone puts on a good show. And, uh, you know, TV cameras, worldwide, I don't know worldwide how many people are watching this event. And, and when they try to make it look so amazing and so incredible, and it was a historical event given, but at the same time, you see the brokenness, the relationships that are struggling and hurting in the midst. So, in these parables, Jesus shares the front end of Luke 16. He points to people's love of money as opposite to their love of God. He said, you can't serve two masters. It will show who, where your heart is. Luke 16, 14 starts off by saying that the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus, and he was telling about the priorities of God, it says that these Pharisees who were lovers of money heard everything Jesus was saying, and they ridiculed him. It kind of hurts me when I hear that because they're ridiculing the Son of God. They're mocking the one who is going to die in their place and offer them salvation. I just see that as the epitome of arrogance and pride and total misunderstanding of what God's ways are. This word ridicule, it means to deride by turning up your nose to sneer at, to scoff at. They were treating Jesus with the utmost contempt because he was exposing their, their wickedness, their corruption, their heart attitude. He knew that they were trying to get status. He knew that they were trying to get ahead and maybe they just thought Jesus was incredibly naive or blind or clueless about how to have influence or how to get ahead in, in this world. And he wasn't. Jesus always has the last word. And so he's going to give a story uh, to put people uh, in their place or to show the right, um, <clears throat> I guess, a, a correction. And uh, so he says in verse 15, you know, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted or lifted up among men is an abomination or is detestable in the sight of God. What you guys value, what you think is important, what you're chasing after, he's saying to these guys, is an abominable practice. It's detestable in God's eyes. It's exactly the opposite for what God is looking for. Then he jumps into something uh, to kind of make his point, to say how far off track these people had gotten. And it seems a bit out of place at first. Verse 18 says this. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Well, like, what? Like, why just throw that out of... We're talking about money. And now you just throw this little one-liner in here about divorce and remarriage. What he's doing is he's... Again, shifting, you might hear divorce, you might hear remarriage, but hear this instead. Listen for what God values. Listen for what God's priorities are so that we can have the abundant life that he promises 
The prophet Malachi tells us that God hates divorce because of the damage it causes. It can seem like an easy way out of a difficult relationship, and rather than doing what it takes to rekindle a lifeless marriage, just call it quits. People say, I got married too young, I didn't know what I was doing, we don't have anything in common anymore, we just have irreconcilable differences is a popular phrase. We've just gone separate ways in life, and so we want to try life with someone else. So the top five reasons for divorce today, according to statistics, number one reason, 68%, is money, financial issues, or dealing with it differently, or having different priorities how to use it. Money is the number one reason for divorce. Uh, Number two is infidelity. Somebody cheats on the spouse and ruins a good thing. Uh, Number three, just simply falling out of love. You know, busy lives, no time for one another, different interests. Number four is a lack of compatibility. Uh, I thought I knew this person, but we just have too many differences in attitude to family life, children, jobs, morals. And the, the number five top reason for divorce is domestic abuse. According to the stats, I looked at 40,000 arrests for domestic violence every year. 40,000 arrests. That doesn't speak to actually what's happening behind the closed doors. So, when it says God hates divorce, what is he saying? Malachi 2 describes a little bit of, listen for God's heart. Listen for his values in this verse of Malachi. You cry out, he's talking to the God's people, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? And Malachi says, I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, did the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit you are his. And what does he want? He's looking for godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Jesus is going to contrast what the law permits because of people's sinfulness and what God intended. God intended people to have a marriage. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Yeah, you're going to have rocky times. Yeah, you're going to have differences. Yeah, you'll probably yell and scream and throw something once in a while. But it's meant to be, anyone hear me? No. (laughs) It's meant to be a a blessed union from which godly children can come. Uh, But what had happened in, in this time is that people were saying, well, they were treating women like property. And this is why Malachi is speaking mainly to the men, and Jesus also is speaking mainly to men in these, these passages, is because women weren't given value. They weren't treated with respect. They were, they were considered property. They, they were uh, without c- compassion uh, in some cases. And so what could happen? Literally, a man could, could sit down for dinner, where's my food? And the, the, his wife brings in a burnt dinner. And he could say, that's the last time I have a burnt dinner from you. He sits down at his desk, writes out a a letter of divorce, hands it to her, and just boots her out onto the street. And that's done. That's what could happen. If if the wife displeased the, the husband anyway, they were allowing this to be grounds for booting her out without any recourse, nowhere to go, no one, no compassion. 
This is the, the time that Jesus steps in and, and he puts it back on the man to say, if you just kick her out like that, you are causing, uh, and you marry someone like that, you are committing adultery. You're forcing her to commit adultery by me, being married to someone else. Hear God's heart to say, this is not what I intended. This is not what I wanted for you. Don't you realize the destruction that you're going to wreak upon the kids and upon the relationships? And all that, any of you that have gone through this know the far-reaching impact that this decision has on life and on future. And so he says in, in other passages related to this, he says, okay, if there is adultery, if someone is unfaithful, then, then I, will, I will accept that this is a grounds for divorce. It's called the exception clause. And, and Jesus explains, the only reason there's an exception clause is because of your sinfulness, is because you're committing adultery, because you're being unfaithful. And I'm going to allow that as a reason. But that's not what I intend. That's not what I prioritize. I want to have a blessed unit together where you can have me in the center of your home and in your life and how things can, can work out because of my great love and how you can show grace. And Truly, he's coming at it from the perspective of God in relationship to his people because he saw his people over and over and over again chasing after other gods, being unfaithful to him, committing adultery, so to speak, with other nations and chasing after their gods and worshiping at their, with, before their idols. And he's going like, what? what's going on? He, felt, he feels the pain of those in his people who... Say, yeah, 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 I'll be faithful to you, and then go off every chance they get, chasing after someone else. That's not what he had in mind. That's not what his priorities were. That's not what he values. God's hatred of divorce is because of the incredible pain and suffering it brings upon everyone involved. He desires to preserve his people from this horrible and generational suffering that divorce brings and the havoc it wreaks upon everyone. So what we're, we're hearing, he's not actually trying to commentate on divorce, although he is bringing it up. He's saying, this is not what I intended. This is not my ideal for my people. And then he moves on to tell a story for all of these people that just scoffed at him. It's another example of his priorities. And we have a, a story of a rich man and Lazarus in verse 19. It says there was a rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked at his sores. So this, this rich man, it sounds like he had his own personal beggar at his gate. He had a guy named Lazarus sitting outside his gate, and, and there's a, a gate, and then there's a courtyard type of area, and then there was kind of the house after that. So it wasn't sitting outside his front door, sitting on his property just as the entrance to where you enter into his abode, I suppose, his uh, property. Uh, and also uh, notice that he feasted every day. He, he, he did not um, give up any opportunity to, to have pleasure himself. And it says that Lazarus would just, can I just have, just give me the food that falls on the ground and that's all I'm looking for, just a scrap. And uh, he's not in good shape. Uh, notice too, and it's very curious, that this is probably the only parable that I'm aware of where, where a main character is given a name. 
called Lazarus. Sometimes we mix up this Lazarus with the one, the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, but don't do that. Separate Lazaruses. But in giving him a name, some people wondered, was this actually a true occurrence? Is he telling about an event that took place? Why do you name this beggar otherwise? Curious to think about. Jesus is not just making something up, but actually identifying the reality. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side, it says. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. It's interesting to find that the, the, the one, Abraham, he's in charge of, he was the father of the entire Jewish nation. He's the guy that started the Jewish people. He's the father of Israel. He's the, the key player in all of their identity as a Jewish people. He, whatever he was doing, I don't know, playing Pargesi with his friends, he, he comes down, he, he welcomes Lazarus when the angels bring him up. He's comforting Lazarus, this the, the most important person in Jewish history, um, apart from like Moses and Elijah, Abraham, Father Abraham is taking care of this beggar. And he calls out, the, 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 the rich man, he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And uh, I just find it so fascinating how Jesus, just a short story, really, but the tables turn so quickly. Uh, death is the great uh, equalizer, isn't it? We all have to stand before God one day, and that's when we find out uh, what our choices on earth have determined for us for eternity. He's, the, the great turnaround is that where Lazarus was sitting at his gate begging for a scrap of food, now the rich man is in torment and anguish, begging that Lazarus would come and take care of his needs. Abraham says, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, like, in like manner, he got bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between you and us is the great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, well, I beg you, then send, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham says, they've got Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, even if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should come from the dead. Understand, Jesus is saying this. It's not Father Abraham so much as Jesus is saying, You know, there comes a time when I will rise from the dead. And I will proclaim the gospel, the good news to many people. And even when I rise from the dead, it's not going to be enough for a lot of people to be convinced. Verse 15 Remember what Jesus said. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I don't know, um, maybe when you see um, really wealthy people, maybe you can become, or like me, a little bit jealous or envious, 
But I, I often don't realize the amount of work and sacrifice that they put in to gain so much wealth. I mean, there's a lot that goes into becoming really wealthy. They paid a big price to get where they are. They sacrificed much, often in the family, uh, with their kids, time with their spouse, other obligations they would have had, um, even their health, their social life. Every other area is compromised or sacrificed in order to gain this amount of wealth. There's nothing wrong with being rich, and that's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, is where's your heart? Where's the priorities? Every day this man who would go outside of his gate and he saw somebody in need and he totally ignored him. He could care less what happened to Lazarus. Lazarus was in the way. You know, get out of my way. I've got to get through. Move your dogs. It's like uh, he didn't care because he was so worried about him, his own self. His, his folly was ignoring the opportunity God put right in front of him to demonstrate a heart of compassion for those in need. His values were not in alignment with God's values. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that God does have priorities. He does have values. And if you're a follower of God, you should reflect his heart in all of your ways. Those looking at this rich man, rich man thought that he was blessed by God, but in actuality, what the man valued in this story was an abomination to God. And uh, as, I, as I say, I watched the, um, I didn't get up at four in the morning to watch the uh, coronation. We taped it and had breakfast the next day, had to look through, fast forward through the tedious parts. And, but it was just, uh, I am a bit of a historian, I like history, I like to see, you know, I can say I watch it live, sort of semi-live, four hours delayed live. But it did bother me, the amount of wealth that sat on people's heads. Just the sparkle, the glitter. It's like, I, I understand tradition, I understand stability, I understand that this has been happening for thousands of years, and, um, and I, I'm okay with, with what they're trying to portray in a sense, but just the, the difference, the, the, the vast amount of wealth, the billions of dollars they say that some of those people are worth, and then the people outside just trying to get a glimpse just get a photo of someone going by in a golden carriage. Uh, something didn't sit right with me, and I, I kept thinking a little bit about the story because I've been preaching, going to preach on it today. Just Some people get everything they want in this life, and many people don't. Most don't. And there's going to be a big reversal one day. You know, I, I know students who choose careers completely based on how much money they can make. It's not if they like this career or if they're good at this career, they look, they put the spreadsheet out and they see which career makes the most money. Well, I'll go for that. That's the only reason they picked it. So uh, here's some of the top careers that you can, starts at a 300,000K to 500,000 uh, a year, uh, company CFO or CEO, a radiologist, ophthalmologist, oncologist, a lot of gist things here, uh, psychiatrist, uh, microbiologist, a neuropathologist, or a prime minister, uh, an ER doctor, social media influencer, a YouTuber, can become, uh, get half a, half a million dollars a year at least or more. Uh, if you just want money, 
you just go for these careers. I mean, it's quick money. Uh, not, I mean, you have to pay a price, but others that don't want to pay the price and they just want the money, they just want to get ahead, they just want to have a, the new car, the new house, the new clothes. I mean, you can, you can deal drugs and you know, run a cartel and embezzle corporate funds and do fraud, that sort of thing, but it's not a very good way to make the money. I mean, you get caught a lot of times doing those, and it's dangerous, you know, short lifespan if you're dealing drugs. But some people, they can't wait for the money. And so they jump into illegal activity just to make, make money. And the harder the economy is, the more desperate they seem to be. Interesting, the beggar who depended upon everyone to survive now enjoys the benefits of depending on God. Whereas a rich man who never had to ask anything from anyone now becomes the beggar in the story. Steeped in suffering, and he has to ask others for the smallest amount of water. Remember the parable last week where Jesus tells us to use our worldly wealth to create friendships and, and uh, develop relationships? Pastor Kyle was talking about that. Had this rich man actually developed a relationship with the beggar, actually helped him out along the way, actually noticed him and showed some kind of dignity and respect for the beggar outside, his, the beggar could have turned and said, let me help you out. Let me 